Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Things that he created in Colossians, he reminds us that all things were created by him and for him, which includes us being made in his image. We're the image bearers of the most high God. So in this kingdom tapestry, the God of the universe not only wove the heavens and the earth, not only wove you individually, but he he has woven all of us collectively to interact and be interconnected with each other. See, being a part of the kingdom means that you respect all, that you love all, that, that you are, show kindness and compassion the same way that God shows patience and kindness and compassion to us, that we give that to others out of the overflow that the God of the universe who created us and loves us desires for us to walk with him. And then last night we discovered that it unraveled. That that this perfect creation had a very specific start in Genesis, and it came to a very quick close in Genesis 3 when God himself said to Adam and Eve, it was not a vague command, it wasn't questionable, it wasn't hard to understand, it wasn't hard to comprehend. He just said specifically, do not eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But because the enemy was present in the garden and he tempted Eve and he approached Eve and he questioned God's authority, he questioned God's command, he he incited Eve to take of that fruit. He convinced her that it would be okay. And when she did, this thing called sin entered the world. And when we left off last night, we had God right here on this side that was perfect in perfection, creator of all in orderly fashion. And it left us as all of humanity over on this side, separated from God. His perfection, his tapestry had unraveled. It had a big gaping hole. Well, tonight we're going to talk about why God repaired it and how he repaired it. There's three kind of people on this earth, and there's three kind of people in this room. This first chair that I'm going to set up here tonight represents people who do not have anything to do with God. Their choices don't reflect God. In fact, most people in this chair would say comfortably they don't believe in God. They would say that this life is all that we have. There is no eternal life. There is no afterlife. There is no God. These people live for the moment. These people live for self. These people are selfish. These people obtain what they can. And these people do not care how they treat and impact others. There are a lot of people in our world today that sit in this chair. But you know, there's another 
type of person in this world, a person at this camp tonight, they're in chair number two. Now, this chair over here is a chair that many of you probably visit. Some of you are sitting in now. This is a chair that loves God. This is a chair that has grown up reading the Bible or in church, maybe a grandparent, maybe a parent, maybe your family. This is a, a chair that you're not perfect, but you believe that God created. What we've been talking about in the kingdom tapestry, it fits. It, like you understand it. Like it makes sense to you. Although you're not perfect, although you struggle, although we have problems, you believe in the reality that God is the creator of all. He's the origin and creator of the kingdom tapestry, and he sent Jesus. But then we have this very perplexing third chair. We have this chair. And in this chair sit people who know about God, but don't know God. In this chair sits people who try to understand the Bible, or they've tried to read it before on their own, but it's very confusing. In this chair sits people who you desire to be a good person, to be kind, to be nice, to treat others well, but you find yourself many times doing quite the opposite. In this chair sits people who you think you believe in God, but you're not really sure. Or you think you know some things about Jesus, but you're really not sure if you want to follow Jesus. In this chair, the majority of the people live in a state of longing and desiring and wanting, but many times find themselves empty and alone. So let me say that again. In this chair, people desire it. They want it. They want to feel the presence of God in their life. They want to follow God. They want to believe in Jesus. But there's something in them that can't get them over that hump, that can't help them feel His presence. Well, tonight, we are going to talk about this chair. I hope in a few minutes... You're going to have facts in this chair that you will never have to ask yourself those questions again. Let's review real quick from last night. Of course, one of my guys helped me from right here, up here, up front. One of you guys up here. No, right? Okay, come on. Great. Thank you. Y'all remember where we started last night with God? Tell me a characteristic of God that someone remembers from last night. One of the many things. Yes, Liam. He's what? Wise. Good. Vigilant. Very good. Yes. Powerful. Anybody over here? Ladies, we're participating. Title nine. We do both sides. Back row. Yes. 
loving, very loving. Okay, uh, I need one other person. There you go. How about? Yeah. Going to the other side. Come on. Yeah, you're all the way over here. All right. How did man end up over there? Raise your hand. Yes. Huh? Sin. Absolutely. Who sinned first? Yes. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. And we have all inherited sin. So the question is, how does man get from separated from God back to God? How does he get there? And here's the trick. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Yes. Jesus. Absolutely. Will you come up here? Put your hands out like this. All right, step over here. Grab his wrist. Grab his wrist. Let me just show you this real quick. All of the other religions in the world that you can name, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, every like every world religion you could name is an attempt for man to earn their way back to God. Every religion in the world, except for the truth of the Bible and Christianity. Christianity in the kingdom tapestry is the only religion in which God sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to man to be the bridge. In Jesus, we have the only thread in the tapestry that can bring all of humanity back into the right standing with the God who created us. In fact, John 14 said, Jesus, when he's speaking, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. There is no way back to the Father except through me. Most of you hopefully know John 3, 16, God's love the world or what? He sent his one and only son that whoever believes would not perish, would not live eternity separated here on earth and for eternity, but if you believe, could have everlasting life. The question for you tonight is, why was Jesus the only one capable of filling this sin gap. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So I hope that in this chair, you no longer doubt or you're confused, but you understand that if you don't know Him personally, tonight you could understand how to make that a reality. Give it up for these guys. Thank you guys very much. Y'all can go sit down. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. So, Jesus, of, I mean, God, of course, is the weaver and the king. He is both. He wove in the whole tapestry of all of creation. You know what's awesome is that Jesus was there at the very, very beginning. In fact, what did God do to repair this unraveling? Clearly, he sent Jesus. He sent him to us. Now, the question is, when he sent Jesus, 
what is it about Jesus that makes him the only one who was capable of filling that gap? Yes. He was human. Good. Emmanuel. Yes. He has no sin. Good. That's what you're saying. Good. Absolutely. So we're going to look at both of those things right out of the box right here. So number one, Jesus was present. He was present at creation. In fact, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says right there, then God said, let us make man in our image. So that means that God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of them together were in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Jesus was there. Jesus is not an afterthought. God didn't create the whole Old Testament have people live for 4,000 years, have sin in the world, and go, oh man, what happened? It's unraveling. I need to do something. I better send Jesus. Jesus is not an afterthought. Jesus is the forethought. Jesus is the pre-thought. Jesus was at the very, very beginning. When we are created in the image of him, he was there. And what's so cool about this kingdom tapestry idea, this metaphor that we're talking about, is that Jesus created the tapestry that we call earth and then was willing to come and be a thread or be a stitch in what he had already created. Wow. So he saw it created, and when he saw it unraveling, there were 400 years in the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament is called Malachi. It's the very last book. Then there's 400 years of silence before Matthew and the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 400 years. For 400 years, you have Jesus in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He's up there. All of humanity is unraveling. Everything is going chaos. Everything is separated. All of humanity is over here, separated from God. And here's Jesus going, let me go get him. Let me go get him. Let me go get him. Let me go. Let me go. Let me go. I want to go. Like he was dying. He was waiting to come on our behalf because he desired relationship with us so much. Jesus loves you enough to come to this earth for you. And not only to come to this earth for you, but to die for you. They didn't take the life of Jesus. He laid his life down. He gave his life. He volunteered his life to redeem you so that you could have a relationship with the God who created you. Jesus was there at the very beginning. And as my main man right here said, he was willing to be human. Emmanuel means God with us. He was willing to take on flesh. We celebrate it every year in December. You know, the whole world goes crazy with Christmas and all that. But literally... The God of the universe who created everything that we see was willing to come from heaven where he was in a glorified state and put on skin and flesh and dwell and come here and walk on this earth. 
to walk on the same earth that we walk on. I get to lead trips at Liberty University over to the Holy Land. We get to walk where Jesus walked. We get to go in the praetorium where the night he was crucified, he was whipped and beaten with rods and spat upon. We get to see where they dropped that cross into the ground where Jesus was. There's still DNA blood samples of Jesus there. There is no question, was there Jesus of Nazareth? He was here. The question is, do you believe it? Because factually, it's undisputed. Spiritually, you have to decide what you're going to do with it. You either believe that there is a God and that Jesus came as His one and only Son, or you don't. So you could choose to live life in this chair. You have that choice. But in this chair, you're choosing not to have His presence in this world and to live eternally separated from Him in the next one. That's the choice of this chair. Or you could say, what if what the Bible says and that crazy maniac KO guy, what if it's actually true? I can't convince you that it's true. I can just tell you all of the historical facts and the spiritual revelations that lead to the fact that this Jesus was who He says He was, did what He said He would do, and he rose again. He was there at creation and he took on flesh. What did he do next? He was willing to show us one time here on earth. He showed us what he's going to look like in heaven. It's in Matthew chapter 17. And Matthew 17, he took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. They went up onto a high mountain. And when they went up there, Jesus transfigured. That means he transformed himself. He went up to this mountain. And his face was shining. It was as white as light. The Bible calls that Shekinah glory. That's the, the Greek word for that. And what it means is a radiant brilliance that's brighter than light. Well, let me say that again. Shekinah glory in the Bible is a radiant brilliance that's brighter than light. Let me ask you something. Do we know of anything brighter than light here on this earth? No, the sun, yeah. It's gonna, the sun is going to pale in comparison to what the brightness is going to be in heaven. In fact, when Saul was on the road to Damascus and it was broad daylight at three in the afternoon and it says a blinding light from heaven at three in the afternoon blinded Saul and took away his sight. The light was so bright that in the bright afternoon, it was multiple times brighter than that. That's the brightness that Jesus revealed up on the mountain. He goes up there in his flesh just like this, and then all of a sudden, doo -doo 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 -doo, you've entered the twilight zone. You have glow-in-the-dark Jesus. Okay? You're talking about brightness, the brightest light. And his clothes turn white like, 
What was he showing them? What did Jesus show Peter, James, and John on the mountain that day? He showed them what he looked like in heaven before he took on flesh and came here to earth and what he's going to be like when we get there and he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus, during his entire time here on earth, was continually showing us, telling us, and demonstrating to us that he was God's son. He was God's son, guys. He was, yeah, absolutely. That's worth a clap. Absolutely. He was who he said he was. What else? He was sinless. He was sinless. We can't go one second without sinning. He went an entire 33 years here on life and didn't sin one time. In fact, if you don't know this, some of you know this, some of you don't know this. I am trying tonight to help fill in the gaps or answer any questions about the reality of who Jesus is so that you will know without a shadow of a doubt He was the all-sufficient Savior worthy and capable of His birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection to reunite all of humanity back to God the Father. He is the thread, checkmate, no matter what. But He was sinless in that even when Mary was visited by the angel and the angel came and said, Mary, you're going to have a son. You've been chosen, the most high. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus is going to be your son. Do you think that interrupted Mary's life, by the way? Did she have some other plans? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. This poor girl over here, she's like, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, all plans are off then, right? But he was sinless in that even when he was given to Mary, the Holy Spirit came upon her and she was with child. Jesus was not even formed out of human origin or he would have had sin. So he did not come from human origin. He came from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Most High, on Mary. He was sinless from the beginning all the way until the very end. And I mean like, death, burial, resurrection, and the great commission of go make disciples of all nations. Jesus was sinless. And he had to be sinless in order to be the sacrifice required by God for the forgiveness of sin. See, our sin did not go unpunished, just so you know. Our sin, all of humanity, it was punished. Jesus took that punishment in the form of death, death on the cross. Next, he was willing to die. Again, they did not take the life of Jesus from him. He could have called in John, it says John 21, he could have called on a legion of angels. Okay, A legion is 72,000 angels. He could have called 
at any moment to deliver him and rescue him. He did not have to go through with the crucifixion. He chose to. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before the crucifixion, he's praying alone, and he says to God the Father, if there's any other way, take this cup, take these next 12 hours, take this crucifixion. If there's any other way, take this from me. But then Jesus said, but not my will, you the Father, may your will be done. And Jesus, who had no sin, no sin at all, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what happened in this chair right here? We sinned. We deserve death. We gain life. Jesus never sinned, not once, not one single time. He deserved life, and he received death. He was willing. That's why when Jesus was hanging on the cross on that Friday, and if you don't know this, you can read this with your counselors tonight, and at three in the afternoon, after he had breathed, breathed his last, and he said, it is finished, hotelistai, it is finished, and he had breathed, it became pitch black dark. Dark as midnight at three in the afternoon. Why? Because he took on all of the sin of all of humanity of all time. And that Shekinah glory, that bright glory, that bright radiant essence of God, God the Father, turned His back on God the Son on the cross, and it elapsed all light from the world. It was utter darkness. In fact, it's when Jesus paid the ultimate price, His death, for us. See, guys, that's how much this Jesus loves you. That's why He created you and has a plan for you. He didn't just tell you that He loves you. He was willing to take on this flesh, live this sinless life, and die this excruciating death for you. Every single one of you. In addition, He rose from the dead. If He died, we wouldn't have a very happy ending to this story, would we? But man, we have the ladies on Sunday. We love the ladies. What were the ladies doing on Sunday morning? They went to the tomb. What were they going to go do? They were going to try to take spices and flowers. They were going to try to decorate the tomb and make it. They were devastated. And they go there. And when they go there, the stone has been rolled away. And there is an angelic being sitting up on the stone. And he says, why are you looking for him? Why are you here? Why are you looking for the alive among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. He is not here. And let me ask you something. When they went into that tomb, was he in there? No, he was not. And is he in there today? No, he is not. What separates Christianity from all the other world religions? It's not just 
that these other world religions try to earn their right standing, but it's that they follow dead, fallen founders. Hindu, dead. Mohammed, dead. Uh, Islam, Allah, dead. Tree huggers, busy. All right? But only one has a resurrected Savior where the tomb is empty, and that is Jesus. And those ladies, they discover it. And when they go tell the disciples, John won't even write his own name in his book. He always says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. But on that day, he said the disciple whom Jesus loved was the first one to the grave. All right? So he may not say his name, but he's fast. All right? He wants you to know he got there first. All right? He appeared to the disciples. One time they're all there. Thomas isn't with them. He appears a week later. Thomas is with them. Y'all remember Thomas? Called Doubting Thomas in Scripture? And he's like, come here, Thomas. He's like, put your hand in my scars. Put your hand in my side. See where they pierced me with the side. Like, he had the wounds. It was a physical resurrection where he was there. He appeared to a multitude of over 500. He walked on this earth after his resurrection for 40 days. And after 40 days, he led them up on the Mount of Olives. And at the Mount of Olives, he was preaching with them. And when he preached with them, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he ascended to heaven in his Shekinah glory, where he sits today, right now, at the right hand of the throne of God, watching you, watching everything you do in life, every decision that you have, the things that you're doing, watching worship right here at RVR. He knows your every thought. He knows every hair of your head. He knows every single thing about you. And he loves you. And he loves you. That's the truth of who Jesus is. That's the truth of what he came to do. And here's what's awesome. He's not just sitting up there. Do you remember in Malachi a few minutes ago? Do you remember when I said he was sitting there going, let me go get him, let me go get him, let me go get him, let me go get him. Guess what he's doing now? He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And guess what he's doing? He is waiting. And what is he waiting on? What is he waiting to do? See us. He is waiting to come back. He is waiting to return. You may not know this. Um, in the tomb, they actually have the clothes that Jesus was wrapped in. So they, they have them, and they have his DNA and his sampling to prove that it's Jesus, Nazareth, all this. And his body clothes and all the garments, they have all of that. But there's something very unique about those clothes in the grave. When they went in and got the clothes that were Jesus was wrapped in, the headdress, so the headcloth that was wrapping his face and all of the, the spices and the balm and all that that was protecting his face for those three days, that headdress was actually folded in the tomb and sitting. Now, all the other grave clothes were a big, hot, smooth mess. It looked like our laundry, throwing it on the bed or on the couch. But the headdress in the tomb was folded perfectly and sitting right where his head was sitting. In biblical times, when people were sharing a meal with high-ranking officials or a king or nobles, if someone had to get up and leave the table, if they were finished eating, they would just wad up their napkin and they would just leave it on their plate. It would be a heap of a mess. But if you were eating a very important meal and you just needed to go speak with someone or do something and you were coming back, you would fold your napkin neatly and set it right on top of your plate. 
when they went in and found the clothes of Jesus in the tomb. The headpiece that was wrapping his face and head was folded neatly because he was letting us know, I'm ascending to heaven, but I'll be back. I'm coming back. He's coming back for us, guys. This story, this kingdom tapestry, is still being written. It's still being written. He purchased all of humanity with His death, burial, and resurrection. He purposed all of it for humanity. He's worthy of our praise. So here's the question. What does this death, burial, and resurrection mean for you? What does it mean for you personally in this chair? What does it mean? Yes, ma'am. I'm so sorry, I cannot hear you. What? Yeah, exactly. That one day, what it means for us is that we will all have an opportunity, she said, to see Jesus again. My um, slide's frozen. If somebody could help me back there. I'm... There you go. Thank you. So what it means is He was willing to die for every single one of us individually. It doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you thought beforehand. doesn't matter where you've been. The truth is, He has done everything required for you to be able to have an opportunity to be in relationship with Him. So what do we do about that? The Bible is very clear. It says you have a choice. You either believe or you don't believe. In fact, it says that He either died for the forgiveness of our sins or He did in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that you can see Oh, right there. It says, if you declare with your mouth, okay, if you declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the thing. In this chair, it is about belief. In fact, 99 times in the book of John, it says, these are the facts. But do you believe? See, it's, it's incredible that the God of the universe would send Jesus and that Jesus would love you so much that He was willing to die for you. But He then, even after dying, gives you the choice. You can sit in this chair and say, well, I mean, that's good for all of them, but that's not for me. That's a choice you make to live independent of the God who did all of that for you. That's a choice. Some of you know this story and believe it, which is awesome. And you should be thinking tonight about when you get home, who really needs to know this story? Your friend, a family member, Someone on your sports team, 
someone at your school, some other. But then, more importantly, are all the people in the world and in this room tonight who have never said, actually, I do believe that. Because the way that you move from being separated from God to having a relationship with God is by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus died for you and three days later, He rose again. See, when God created us, He created us as a a unique whole person. And when He created us, He gave us this incredible thing inside of us. It's called a soul. Okay? And so just like this vase right here is your human body with your eyes and ears and nose and your tucker system and all your systems or whatever, inside of you, you have this incredible indwelling. It's called your soul. And this soul, which is in this liquid right here, this soul is the part of you that is going to live for eternity. It's going to live forever. It's the eternal part of your being. Okay, You're a two-part person. You're a physical being and a spiritual being. But the problem is, because of the fall of man in Genesis 3, what happened? What were we all born? Our spiritual being came into this world with what? Came in with what? Sin. So even though we were created that way, all of a sudden in our life, what started out perfect and in union, now with no doing of our own, now completely was stained by sin. That's what happened at the fall of man, is that when we were contaminated, sin started to grow. And the problem is, sin doesn't grow independently, as we've already established in this royal tapestry while we're here, that this sin doesn't just stay there. The sin actually, over time, grows. Green and many times says growth, and that's what happens in sin. When we don't believe in God, and we don't have a relationship with God, what happens is the contaminants and the toxins in our soul continue to multiply. We make poor decisions. We look at bad things. We do bad things to our things. We, we have stress. We have anxiety. We have all the struggles and the chaos of our world because sin is continuing to grow in our lives. But that's not the truth of the kingdom tapestry. That's not the design that God created. And there was only one solution to our contaminated spiritual condition. Only one. And that is what Jesus Christ was willing to come here to earth and do for us.
Because if we continue to live this life in this chair, independent of the free gift that's available to all, then we are going to suffer all of the consequences of loneliness, brokenness, selfishness, greed. We're going we're gonna to live a life on this earth that's toxic to ourselves and to others. And you're choosing eternity apart from the God of the universe who sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. It's the moment that you believe that you step. Paul says, from death to life. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus was sinless? Do you believe that Jesus came to this world, died a criminal's death for you? Do you believe that at the end of his life, he rose again? The question is, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus was who He said He was, did what He said He would do, and He did it for you? We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.